comrades, and happy May Day. Welcome back to the Cory Doctorow podcast. If you are in Des Moines, Des Moines, Iowa, you know, Spinal Tap has ruined me for saying the name of that city. If you're in Des Moines, Iowa, I will be there next weekend, May 6th to 8th. I won't be recording a podcast that weekend for obvious reasons. I'm the guest of honor at Demicon 33. That's the Regional Science Fiction Convention, and this is its 33rd installment. The week of June 8th, I will be in Austin, Texas for OpenJS World to do a keynote. As you will hear in a moment, there's some complexity about this. And then uh, June 15th and 16th, I'll be in London for the UK Competition and Markets Authority Data Technology and Analytics Conference. July 22nd through 24th, I will do a remote keynote for The Last Hope. That's the 2600 Hackers on Planet Earth conference. I was supposed to be there in person, but we had a miscommunication, and I'm going to be on a family holiday dialing in from that. So anyway, I mentioned there's some complexity about Austin and maybe even London, and that's because I got some good news this week. After a couple of years of waiting on tenterhooks, I finally got the letter from U.S. Customs and Immigration Services telling me that they want me to come in for an interview to see about becoming a U.S. citizen. It's generally a formality at that point. You have to answer some quiz questions and you know, affirm that you've never been a terrorist. My wife and I applied at the same time a couple of years ago, but she got called up last August, which was kind of record speed. And then I've been waiting ever since for my own application to be called up and emailing my fancy immigration lawyers periodically. And they've been saying, no, 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 all of our other clients are also waiting. You're not uh, going too long here. Uh, your wife just just somehow ended up at the top of a pile instead of the bottom of a pile. But when my wife got called up, she got called in the next day to be sworn in. Anyway, all of that by way of saying my interview is on the day I'm supposed to do the keynote in Austin. And they may be able to push it to the next day, but that won't help if my swearing in is the next day. And if I do get sworn in around then, then somehow I have to get a U.S. passport before I fly to London, because once you're a U.S. citizen, you no longer have a green card, and you have to enter the U.S. on a U.S. passport, which you then have to get in almost no time. So I am waiting for my fancy but extremely unresponsive immigration lawyers to tell me what the consequences are of asking for a postponement of either the interview or the swearing-in, just to see if I can work out those logistics a little better. In the meantime, I am planning to do both. I'm just going to figure it out somehow. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting my third citizenship. I'll be a Canadian, a Briton, and an American. And uh, I love answering those quiz questions. I drilled my wife on those questions when she was studying. And so I think I know them pretty well. I can tell you what the Tenth Amendment is for. So it's good news overall. It's just a little logistically weird, as is inevitably the case with all of this stuff. This is Sunday, and I'm going to be doing something that I do periodically on Sundays, which is I'm going to appear on This Week in Tech, and that will go live this afternoon, maybe after this podcast goes out, I don't know for sure, but it will definitely be available as a rewatch later. And I love doing Twit, and they ask me periodically, and I always try to say yes, but it's like a three-hour commitment on a Sunday, so it's a big deal when I actually do say yes. I have said yes this time, so I'm looking forward to that, and I'll be catching some of you on that live stream. So today I'm going to read a recent Medium column with a good title, title I like a lot, Revenge of the Chickenized Reverse Centaurs. And this is getting deep into my lore of how I think about tech and uh, algorithms and labor. And so without further ado, 
Revenge of the Chickenized Reverse Centaurs, Algorithms and Worker Power, from doctoro.medium.com. In AI circles, a centaur describes a certain kind of machine-human collaboration in which decision support systems, which the field loves to call AIs, are paired with human beings for results that draw upon the strengths of each, such as when a human chess master and a chess-playing computer program collaborate to smash their competition. In labor circles, chickenization refers to exploitative working arrangements that resemble the plight of the American poultry farmer. The U.S. poultry industry has been taken over by three monopolistic packers who have divided the nation up into exclusive territories so that each chicken farmer has only one buyer for their birds. Farmers are, quote, independent small business people who nominally run their own operations, but because all their products must be sold through a single poultry processor, that processor is able to exercise enormous control over their operation. The processor tells the farmer which birds to raise, as well as what the birds are to be fed, how much, and on what schedule. The processor tells the farmer how to build their coops and when the lights go on and off. The processor tells the farmer which vets to use, and tells the vets which medicines to prescribe. The processor tells the farmer everything, except how much they'll be able to sell their birds for. That is determined unilaterally when the farmer brings their birds to market and the payout is titrated to the cent to represent exactly enough money for the farmer to buy birds and feed and vet services through the processor's preferred suppliers and to service the debts on the coops and light and land, but not one penny more. Chickenization has spread beyond chicken farming. Uber drivers are paid on a variable reinforcement drip fee that gives them just enough to keep up the lease and gas and insurance payment on their vehicles, but not enough to give them breathing space to think about changing careers. Likewise for Amazon drivers. Amazon styles the drivers as subcontractors working for a delivery service partner, or DSP, and the DSP is fully chickenized. They have to buy Amazon vans and subject them to Amazon maintenance, but Amazon reserves the right to fire a DSP without notice, straining them with vehicles and lot leases and payroll liabilities. The DSP owners are chickenized, but the drivers themselves? They're more like the chickens, or rather, they're centaurs. From the instant you get behind the wheel of an Amazon van, you are surveilled by an army of cameras hooked up to high-handed, judgmental AIs that monitor your facial expressions, your eye movements, and your ability to meet an impossible quota. But even though an Amazon driver represents the tight coupling of a human and a machine to do more than either could do on their own, that's not the kind of centaur we talk about when it's a chess master paired with a chess program. That chess master is being augmented by the machine, and the machine is the junior partner in the relationship. The human is the head, and the AI is the body. By contrast, an Amazon driver is a reverse centaur. The AI is in charge, and the human is the junior partner. The AI is the head, telling the body what to do. The driver is the body, the slow-witted ambulatory meat that is puppeteered by its AI master. 
the next generation of labor exploitation merges chickenization with reverse centaurs. DoorDash and other gig companies use apps to script the movements and conduct of independent contractors to the finest degree while hiding their true wages from them until they finish their jobs. The simplistic answer to this is, well, if you don't like it, don't work for a gig company. But that's not how labor rights work. Behind every labor struggle is a recognition that business owners have negotiating power over workers that will, over time, shift more and more value from workers to bosses. Labor market outcomes are not a matter of individuals bargaining with one another. In a labor market, atomized workers bargain with consolidated firms. It's hard for workers to play companies off against each other to get higher wages, and companies get furious when they pull it off. But it's easy for businesses to play workers off against each other to pay lower wages. Historically, worker power has come from unions, which were able to bargain for workers at a specific job site or across a sector, and just as importantly, to win labor regulations that protect all workers. Forty years of all-out assaults on labor organizing have weakened that source of worker power, and both Republicans and Democrats are deeply committed to keeping unions weak. Despite this lack of institutional support, unions are coming back with a vengeance, and they're pulling it off by creating new high-tech organizing tools and strategies that answer high-tech employer tactics with high-tech worker tactics. Using messaging tools to organize unions is an effective but indirect answer to chickenization and reverse centaur tactics. A new kind of tech-based labor tool confronts these tactics head-on, counter-apps that help workers seize the means of computation from their bosses. Take Para, a collection of apps for gig workers that undo the reverse centaur relationship between workers and gig employers. For example, when DoorDash sends a job offer to a dasher, Para unwraps that offer and reveals the total compensation being offered, which the DoorDash app hides by default until the job is done. DoorDash understands that its customers want cheap deliveries, and it understands that its drivers don't want to service cheap jobs where they actually lose money after factoring in time, gas, and depreciation. By hiding the total compensation from drivers, DoorDash is able to trick some of them into making unprofitable runs, allowing the company to offer customer-attracting loss-leader prices that are billed to drivers. That's where Para steps in. Para's long-term goal is to build apps that automate the process by which workers play gig companies off against one another. That way, the auction process, where workers bid to see who will do the job for the lowest pay, is replaced by a process where employers bid to see who will pay the most for a worker's time. That's a powerful vision, but it's only part of the answer to the chickenized reverse centaur industry. After all, there's only so much bargaining power an individual worker can exert. Groups of workers, on the other hand, have a long track record of wringing concessions from employers. Dashers understand that. The hashtag DeclineNow movement organizes dashers, via online forums, to turn down all jobs below a certain payment threshold, with the understanding that the DoorDash algorithm will bid up the offered payments until a worker agrees to do the job. That's a process that's ripe for automation. Imagine if dashers could form co-ops around apps that hid job offers, unless they came with a profitable payout. 
counter-algorithmic activism is subtly different from Para's model. While Para exposes hidden information and automates the process of uncovering it, counter-algorithmic work actually seeks to turn workers into centaurs, not reverse centaurs. For example, in 2020, there was a widely shared story about Amazon drivers hanging their burner phones from tree branches near Amazon warehouses. They were doing this because the Amazon delivery algorithm required them to make impossible quotas. Impossible in part because of the number of deliveries they had to make, but also impossible because the system wouldn't allocate a delivery to them unless they were close to the warehouse. By hanging their phones from the trees at the warehouse gates, the drivers were able to trick the system into allocating deliveries to them. This is a crude hack, but in Indonesia, it's been elevated to a science, thanks to the proliferation of Tuyul apps. These are apps created by and for delivery drivers that modify the official delivery dispatch apps. One key Tuyul feature? Spoofing the GPS telemetry fed to the dispatch algorithms so drivers don't have to enter dangerous traffic jams around train stations in order to book rides with commuters as they arrive. In other words, Tuyul apps dispense with the fugly hack of hanging phones from trees and replace it with transforming phones to act on behalf of workers not their bosses. Tuya Laps do a lot more. Check out Rita Qadri's fantastic reporting on the subject. Labor movements have done the most good when they build solidarity across sectors and industries. Lucky for the chickenized reverse centaurs, there's plenty of people finding themselves in that circumstance. Take Taylor Lorenz's excellent Washington Post article on AlgoSpeak, an emerging dialect of euphemisms that social media users deploy to bypass the filters that the dominant platforms use to keep discourse brand safe and minimize publicity scandals. Much of the article dealt with the problems all communicators face. For example, if you want to talk about suicide and mental health, you have to use the euphemism become unalive because the filters downrank any mention of suicide. But AlgoSpeak isn't just a communications issue, it's a labor issue. The people who truly live and die by algorithmic ranking choices are the people whose ability to put groceries on the table is directly tied to whether a social media platform suppresses their video or text. These video creators are also the source of the bulk of the platform's wealth, but, like other chickenized workers, they have no way to know what they'll get paid for their labor, and don't find out until the algorithm digests their materials and decides whether or not they will be exposed to the people who've explicitly subscribed to their feeds. These workers are also allies in the fight to create true centaurs out of reverse centaurs. That's where tracking exposed comes in. Tracking Exposed is a loose collective of digital human rights advocates who offer browser plugins that help reverse engineer the recommendation systems of Facebook, Pornhub, Amazon, TikTok, and YouTube. These are producing data that algorithms can use to, quote, walk without rhythm so they don't attract the sandworms, aka the algorithm's downranking fist. This is fully compatible with the Online Creators Association's demand for transparent and responsive moderation. But these analyses are also yielding new recommendation systems. Tracking Exposed's YouChoose tool replaces YouTube's recommendations with recommendations from across the web, which you can understand and modify. 
It's not just online creators and Amazon drivers and dashers who have natural solidarity when it comes to rendering algorithmic judgments legible and accountable. Tracking Exposed's other work includes detailed analysis of the way that these systems influence elections and how recommenders create an alternate universe in autocratic, warlike states. The pandemic was a boon to the bossware industry, as lockdown employees discovered how quickly work-from-home can turn into live-at-work. The promise of bossware, tools that monitor your face, your fingers, your conversations, and more, is that someday all workers can be chickenized reverse centaurs. The project of understanding and then seizing the algorithm couldn't be more important to these workers, and soon of us, to all of us. All right, that's it. Happy May Day. Seize the means of computation. Talk to you in two weeks, unless you happen to be in Des Moines, Iowa, in which case I'll see you next weekend. You've been listening to the Cory Doctor Podcast, licensed under Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, share-alike US 3.0. Or as Woody Guthrie put it in another context, this song is copyrighted in the US under seal of copyright 154085 for a period of 28 years, and anyone caught singing it without our permission will be a mighty good friend of ours, because we don't give a dern. Publish it, write it, sing it, swing to it, yodel it, we wrote it, that's all we wanted to do. Many thanks to John Taylor Williams for mastering. That's Rynex Studio, W-R-Y-N-E-C-K Studio at gmail.com. John Taylor Williams is a full-time self-employed audio engineer, producer, composer, and sound designer. In his free time, he makes beer, jewelry, odd musical instruments, and furniture. He likes to meditate, to read, and to cook. Talk to you next week. <laughs>